Thank you, Jake. It's good to be reminded, uh, even this week, that those who are treacherous will uh, be met by the Lord. Uh, so we're going to be keep talking about covenant this week, and um, and we're going to get into uh, the commitments, uh, the the commitments in our covenant, not to be confused with the 91 Irish film, The Commitments, um, which you should all definitely see, or the 1987 Roddy Doyle novel upon which that film was based, which you should also read, very good. Um, but the, we're going to be talking about uh, the commitments of our covenant. Now, I grew up in a church wherein uh, the covenant was really a list of don'ts. It was a b- bunch of things that we weren't going to do. We weren't going to drink alcohol. We weren't going to involve ourselves in any sorts of immorality. We weren't going to, to I believe, I believe like not watching movies and not going to a movie theater was in those. So there was, it was just a list of don'ts. And, um, and, the, and that's fine. I'm not trying to criticize it, but... I think if we're going to make commitments to things, I would rather see us make commitments that are positive rather than negative. It's way more helpful to tell people what to do rather than what not to do. So I would like so our commitments as uh, as a church, and when we're trying to make these covenants together, are, are a list of what we're trying to do. And what we tried to do as your elders, as we as we made up this covenant and list of commitments, is what we're trying to do is codify into some sort of reproducible actions, the things that we believe will produce transformation. That is the thing that we're trying to do here. As we gather as followers of Jesus, we're here because we see the world in a certain way. And we want to be different. We want to be different ourselves. We want the world in which we live to be different. And we believe that the way that this world and ourselves become different is by, is by Jesus moving in us and in the world. That's, we believe that that's the best hope for it. And we want to see change in others. And we, and we believe that that begins with changes in ourselves. And we also believe that we cannot do this alone. So together, we are attempting to, to, to change ourselves and our community and the world around us. That's why... We're here. But if we're any kind of, and all of us are approaching some levels of maturity in some ways, we understand that transformation doesn't just happen by itself. And transformation doesn't just happen because you want it to. And transformation just doesn't happen by will and desire. It happens by habits and behaviors and commitments. And and I've experienced this in in a small way in uh, in a in a, in a with with a fitness group that I'm a part of, so I have started doing uh, DDP yoga and I'm bad at it, but it's a it's a yoga thing, and it I used to not be able to touch my toes, and now I can, and and like so, it's a uh, it's a healthy thing for me. But there's a group associated with this, and there's a Facebook group, and all these people who do it together are, are, are working with one another. And, uh, and lots of people, and, and what I found on that is, fa- and, and being part of that group is, is fascinating, because there's people that have been doing this, kind of, the, the, this fitness plan for years, and have known all about it, and they've experienced lots of change, and, they've experienced, and they're mature in the way of the fitness program. And there's people who are just starting out in it. And... And the people who are just starting out are like, how do I get started? What do I need to do? I can't do any of the things that I'm supposed to do. And, and then the people who are mature say, like, yeah, I used to be like that too. I used to not be able to touch my toes. I used to not be able to do any of the poses. I used to be able to not finish any of the, the workouts. You need to keep working at this. And, and everybody kind of works together because they have this shared desire that we want to all together be healthier. And we believe that the way for us to become healthier is for us to engage in this program together. 
And it's interesting, and, and, and we all understand how that works. All of us have tried some sort of fitness plan for some period of time, and we understand how that commitment to a goal with other people is a valuable and worthwhile thing to do, even if we weren't able to commit to it long term. And I think it's interesting that, that Paul seems to recognize this, where, when he, talk, he, he compares training and godliness to training in physicality. He says, train yourself to be godly in 1 Timothy 4, talking to Timothy as he's uh, as, as he's becoming mature in his calling, he says, for physical training is of some value, but good, godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And I think it's fair for us to look at these things the same way, that, that, that physical train, the same effort that we put into physical training, the same desire that we need to have for it, the same methodologies that we use where we gather people around us to hold us accountable, to work with us, to follow, and submitting ourselves to a program, the, the, uh, training in godliness can work the same way. And, and I want to be fair, and I want to warn you, you're going to hear about this a lot over the next year as I start to talk about it. But this whole document, this whole covenant that we're trying to submit, submit to as a church is about submitting to a program of transformation that we think is going to make us new, it's going to make us better, and as such, it's going to make the world around us better because that's the way that the Lord works. So we're going to read, the way that we're going to work in this sermon is we're going to read through the commitments at the beginning. I'm going to try and have my voice not crack again. We're going to read through the commitments together, and then I'm going to go back and I'm going to talk about them a little bit. So, and these are divided into three different sections, and this is important, and I I wrote, so this is what happened. I wrote the whole sermon, and then I was like, I'm missing something, and I went back and put this. So that's why I forgot about this. But our commitments involve three kinds of behaviors. Behaviors towards yourself, things that you do kind of internally, privately. Behaviors towards the community. When I say community, I mean your brothers and sisters within the church. And then behaviors towards the world. That means everybody out there, okay? And you might think as you looked at those three things and say, but what about behaviors towards God? Well, we believe fundamentally as followers of Jesus that all behaviors are ultimately behaviors towards God, okay? And, and I believe this for, for a couple of reasons. One, Jesus says about our actions toward the world, when did we see, he tells the story about the sheep and the goats, and the disciples say to him, when did we see you hungry and needing food? When did we see you thirsty and needed, when did we see you naked and clothe you? He says, whatever you did to the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it unto me. So that, so that reinforces for us that our behaviors towards the community, our brothers and sisters, and our behaviors toward the world are behaviors towards God. They, they demonstrate and work out our attitude towards God is reflected in the way that we treat other people. And in the same way, when God created humanity, he said, in Genesis, it says that God says, let us make man, and let us make man or humanity in our image, so that in ourselves, in us, is the image of God ingrained. Therefore, our attitudes, what we believe about ourselves, is reflective of what we believe about God, that, that what we believe about God is going to be translated into our actions towards ourselves and our actions towards others. So when we change our attitudes towards ourselves, when we have different self-talk because of our relationship with God, when we have different relationships with our brothers and sisters in the church, we have different relationships with the community because of our relationship with Jesus, all of those are attitudes towards God, okay? So still working that out. Some of you are scowling at me. It's okay. We can talk about that later. But so we're going to read through these together. So this is the oh, this is the first set. 
So I cover, and please look up these passages. Uh, some of them I'm going to refer to, but I'm not going to refer to all of them. But that, so I covenant to immerse myself in God's word and to allow it to permeate all aspects of my life with, it, with its truth. That's the, uh, we talked about that last week. I will discipline myself to maintain a close relationship with the Lord Jesus. My relationship will be evident through my participation in communion, the church community, service, and a life that glorifies Jesus. I will joyfully and sacrificially steward the resources God has given me, including my time by participating regularly in worship services in the life of the church community, my talents by serving God's church and my neighbors with the gifts I have been given, and my treasure through regular financial giving. I commit to submit to God through his Holy Spirit. I commit to allow others to speak into my life and to speak into the lives of my brothers and sisters in a godly and biblical way. I commit to resolve conflict where it arises with my fellow covenant members in a biblical manner that moves toward forgiveness and reconciliation. I commit to treat all of God's children with respect and grace, holding to the tenets in essentials unity in non-essentials liberty, and in all things charity. And I agree by God's grace to walk in holiness as an act of worship to Jesus Christ, who has saved me from my sin that I could live a new life. I will not have anything in my life that will interfere with my relationship with God and others or that will compromise my integrity. And when I sin, I agree to confess my sins to Christian brothers and sisters and to seek help from them and from God. Okay, so this is a lot of stuff, but we're going to go back to the top. And we, we talked about allowing the Bible to permeate all of our lives with its truth last week. So we're just going to jump, jump straight to, to number two. I will discipline myself to maintain a close relationship with my Lord Jesus. The most important thing that we can do as a church for ourselves, for each other, for the world at large, is to point people toward Jesus. If we don't do that, we are a failure. doesn't matter what else we do, okay? If we have... The, the best food program and feed the entire north side, if we, if we somehow provide free sports and art music training to every child in, the, in northeast Edmonton, and we do not point Jesus to, put people toward Jesus, it doesn't matter, okay? That is the most important thing that we do. We are only as useful as we are connected to Jesus. Just being disciples, church, without a connection to Jesus is pointless. So we want to be clear that everything about who we are is about pointing to a relationship with Jesus. Everything about this covenant is about being in relationship with Jesus, okay? There's, uh, that, 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 that's the basis and the core of who we are. Everything builds on that. But our commitment to Jesus, we believe, is, is codified into behaviors. Not codified, but it is demonstrated in actions, okay? And, and we believe that, that people should be able to see our commitment to Jesus. Now, uh, when I was a teenager, there was uh, very cheeseball skits that were done at every church event that my parents used to make me go to. And one very favorite cheeseball skit was uh, it was to put a Christian on trial. It was imagining like some sort of like post-apocalyptic future where Christianity had been outlawed. And they brought forward the Christian, the, the so-called Christian, and they were then put on trial for being a Christian. And then the question was, what evidence is there that this person was a Christian, right? And it was all supposed to make us feel guilty for not reading the Bible enough. But... Um, 
there was, there's something to that idea that there ought to be some sort of evidence in our day-to-day lives and our own actions and the way that we treat other people that demonstrates that we are connected to Jesus, okay? And some of these, and some of these are obvious and some of these are, are, are not, but I, I, I think it's important for us to, to, and for us, we believe that, that part of those is, is, is just showing up sometimes, that's part of the evidence that you're connected to Jesus is being part of his family, taking communion, participating in the service. And I want to be clear because some of you who have experienced any kind of like church manipulation are just like, but you can fake those things. And of course you can fake those things. Like, yes, these are not solely Like, if you don't have these things, that's not evidence of God not working in your life. And if you have these things, that's not evidence that that, that you're not faking it. But the fact that you can fake good things doesn't mean that you should stop doing good things. Okay? So we want to have some, we want to have enough evidence in our lives to convict us of being Christians. And and what we've taken as a passage that, that guides this is, the, is this idea from Acts chapter 2. That at the beginning of the church, all the people gathered and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And I'm reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the, the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to everyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added daily to, added to their number daily those who are being who were being saved. So we believe that part of being committed to Jesus is being committed to each other and demonstrating that, that by meeting together, by gathering, by showing up, by being in each other's lives. That's demonstration of God working in our lives. And I want to be clear, this is not mere attendance. We're not going to start taking attendance where it's like, ah, I got a check mark beside my name and now I'm good and that's enough holiness for me for the week. But if we're going to be committed to Jesus, that means we're involved with each other's li- in each other's lives. That's the way that this thing works, because we don't believe that we can experience the transformation that we want to experience on our own. We have to have some sort of engagement with our brothers and sisters, and that's evident in participation in communion, the church community service, and a life that glorifies Jesus. We want to have enough evidence to convict ourselves. Now it gets a little bit rougher. I will joyfully and sacrificially steward the resources God has given me, including my time, my talents, and my treasure. Okay, so it's very important, we believe, if we're going to experience transformation in Jesus, that we share what we have been given. Okay? It is incredibly important that we share what we have been given. So that's why coming to the church matters. That's great. Okay, and really important, and I want you to keep doing that. But, but it's more than that. It's about sharing. And I know that the one that is freaking everybody out right now, because it's freaking me out right now, and maybe you guys are fine with it, but it's freaking me out right now, is the treasure. Because you're like, are you going to talk about money? And I'm going to have to talk about money. Um, and 
and that's not something I'm comfortable with. That's not something that a lot of people are comfortable with for very good reason, that people in my position as pastor have used this platform and this word and this microphone, not this specifically, but metaphorically in general. I'm not accusing anyone who has stood here in the past. But, but we pastors have used their position in order to manipulate people for their own personal gain, okay? And so I understand people's reticence uh, and, and, and you should have your guard up against that. But we are going to talk about the money for a couple of reasons. One, the very simple basic reason that, that we can do more together than we can do individually. That's a very simple basic move of any kind of movement of humanity. If we all pool our stewardship of, of money together, we can do more for this church and for the community than we could do if we were just giving money on our own. That's just a, a, a natural thing. But we want to be careful. And this is where it gets a little bit more complicated. But I, I have permission to do this. Because my dad, you guys have met my dad. My dad's not a pastor. My dad was a mechanic, uh, is a mechanic, was a mechanic for, for his entire working life. And when I became a pastor, I was the, uh, when I became pa a pastor, um, I was young and kind of dumb, but my dad said something to me. He said, the most important thing that you can do as a pastor is get people to tithe. And he's, the reason why you do that, and his, what he said to me was, the reason why you do that is because if you're placing God first in your finances, it's going to be easier for you to follow him in every other way. And we can't deny that the Bible has a lot of passages that seem to point to the fact that God responds with blessings towards our trust in him. And that if we place him first in our finances, if we place him first in everything that we've been given, then it is easier, if you, if you trust him with the money, it's easier to follow him with the time, it's easier to follow him with your sexuality, it's easier to follow him with, your, with, your, with, with the way that you treat other people. The hard thing to let go of is what's in your pocket. You know, and, and I'm not saying that this is hard, and I'm, I'm, un, I, and I'm uncomfortable with this idea, but we can't ignore the link in the Bible consistently between trust in God and receiving blessings. And I think that the reason why this is important is because God is incredibly committed to having us remember from where our stuff comes. It is incredibly important for him to say, for, for, for him to have us remember that everything we have comes from God. Not for him. He, it's not affecting him. God doesn't need our stuff. He doesn't need the money that we write on a check. He doesn't need that for his resources. But we need that in order to be reminded again and again what God is doing in our lives. And there's a discipline in knowing what you got. And this is where it gets uncomfortable for me because I... Uh, I have to confess that I got to be honest with you, I am not the most financially responsible person in the world. I'm just not. And I do okay, and we're not uh, drastically in debt, and that is mostly due to Teddy's diligence uh, and less to do with my discipline. Um, but there's a discipline that comes in knowing how much you're making and where it's going. And that is incredibly important. And I... And this is my commitment, because I haven't taken this seriously in the past, that I'm going to start taking this more seriously. Because in all honesty, and this is, I'm not proud of this, but it's, and I'm not trying to win points by being saying this, but you just need to know this, because I need to tell you this so that there's some level of honesty here. 
with most of my financial stuff over the last 15 years, I've just stuck my head in the sand. And may and like was just hoping that it was going to be okay. And in all honesty, God's been relatively faithful. God's been very faithful, and it's been relatively okay. But that's still not a good place to be. And I got to be honest with you, for most of my life, I didn't I was working in the restaurant industry before I got into ministry and had like grown-up jobs. I didn't know how much I made. I was making tips. I was making, you know, I had no idea how much I knew how much I I, I had to pay. But I didn't really know how much I made. So to be diligent in giving of your first fruits, as we've been called to in Jesus, you have to be disciplined to know enough to know how much you actually make. You know, that's a hard thing for us to do. So I don't want to make this a point of guilt, but I need to get better at this. And there's, and and I think that one of the reasons why this is so important to God is because there's a discipline involved in it. You need to know how much you're bringing in. You need to know how much is going out. But all of this is linked to the very first statement that I want to say, that that I want to make really, really clear. Because it's very easy, and especially it's very easy for me, so I know that it's in you guys as well, that when somebody begins to talk about this, that you just descend into a shame cycle. Okay? You're just like, ugh, you know? And, and that uh, I'm not giving 10%, therefore I am a terrible human being, right? And I don't want you to do that. Because what's most important here is that I will joyfully and sacrificially steward the resources that God has given me. So this needs to be joyful. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. And if you're just like, I can't do it right now because I don't have enough discipline to do it right now, it's okay. Get your stuff right and start to do it. There are, there are people in this, the, there are people that are willing to help, help you with this. But, but it's got to come from a place of joy that I want to be generous. I want to be in a position where I can share with, what, with other people what God has given me. I want to be in a position where I'm, I'm responsible enough with my own stuff that I can give back to God. It's got to come from joy, okay? So if you're not in a position where you can joyfully give, don't give yet, Okay? Get yourself in a position. And this is where we have to be, start being vulnerable with each other. Because in, in my dumb yoga program, there's lots of people that say, start out and say, like, I can't do this move yet. How do I do it? And then another, you know, I can't do this move where I stand on one foot with my, with my other foot on my knee and I hold my hands above my head. I can't do that. How do you do that? And then somebody else will say, I couldn't do that at the beginning either, but... What you do is, in order to get there, rather than putting both hands up in the air, you put one hand on a chair, and then you can lean on it and start to get partway there until the point where you can lift your hands above your head. So there's an in- incremental step where somebody who know who's been there tells you how to do this. With so much of us in our financial lives, what we do is we just get ashamed and scared, and we hide, and we don't have anybody to help us. And we just feel like everybody's going to think that I'm irresponsible, and I'm small, and I'm dumb. There are... Brothers, and this is where we have to be open with each other, where we need to be able to say, I have been irresponsible in this in the past, I need to get better. And I know that there are people in this congregation that would love to chat your ear off about personal finance. I know Joe would love to chat your ear off about personal finance. <laughs> so if you're a person, but it requires that vulnerability, and, and so don't come to me, I don't know how to help you, but somebody like Joe knows a lot about personal finance. And if you come to him and say, like, hey, could we have coffee and talk about this stuff at some point? Because 
I don't know how to do this. Joe would be more than willing to show you, like, okay, let's, let's work with you. And I want to speak for, for Joe because I, I, because I know him well. He's not going to judge you. He's not going to be like, you're a terrible human being. You don't deserve anything. You know, like, that's not this, the situation that he's going to be in. But this is where we start to get helpful with you, where we start to help each other up out. We need to give joyfully. But we also, we need to give sacrificially. Because, and I don't think that there's anybody like this in our, not too many people like this in our congregation, but I've been in other churches um, where people are more than willing to give money, because they got lots of it, you know? And they're they're like, oh yeah, we'll throw money at that, Um, but they don't give any of their time because that's the thing that's really valuable. And they don't actually participate in anything because that's the thing that's really valuable, but they're more than willing to throw money at it. I don't care if you can throw money at something. You have to give sacrificially. So if the sacrifice for you is giving your time, then you need to give your time. If the sacrifice for you is giving your talents, then you need to give your talents. It, your giving needs to cost, okay? And, 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 and it needs to be something that matters to you. I don't, like, I don't want to get into a position where all y'all are like super wealthy and feel like we're just going to pay you for our religious goods and services. We're all given, you know, we're all given 15% of our income. Yay, wonderful. That's not where we want to get because it's not pointing us to Jesus. You got to give joyfully and sacrificially. God doesn't need our cash. God doesn't need our resources. But what he wants to do is train us to get better at this. And I got to be honest, I'm still working toward this and I got to get better. Um, But I'm committing to get better, just like I hope you guys do as well. Okay. I commit to submit, so that, that took a while, but uh, I commit to submit to God through his Holy Spirit. I commit to allow others to speak into my life and to speak into the lives of my brothers and sisters in a godly and biblical way. I commit to resolve conflict where it arises with my fellow covenant members in a biblical manner that moves towards forgiveness and reconciliation. So now we're talking about behaviors towards our family, okay? This is behaviors towards our brothers and sisters in the community. And this is about discipline, okay? I commit to submit to God through his Holy Spirit, I commit to allow others to speak into my life. This means that we've got to be vulnerable with each other and admit where we need help, okay? So in my fitness program, there's lots of people that get there on the Facebook group and they plug in, I really don't want to work out today. You know, I just don't want to do it. I, and, and we all know what that's, that's like, where it's just like, I know I'm supposed to do a thing and I don't want to do it. I don't have any motivation. There's, my, my, my desires are split where I know I'm supposed to do this thing, but I have, we're all living in that Romans 7 moment, right? Where Paul says, like, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. You know, Paul is, li- you know, we live in that moment. You know, and what we need to do, with, and what happens in that moment, it's a beautiful thing. People don't be like, well, what kind of terrible person are you? You're awful. You don't deserve to be part of this program anymore. Get out. What people do is they say, you can do this. You know you want it. You know you're able to do it. Discipline yourself to do it. This is how you can do it. Do half a workout. Do part of a workout. Do, do something. Get changed into workout clothes. And people start to, to move them forward. And this is about discipline and, and forming each other. And, this is, and, and, and I only started to understand this when I was part of this group. And then I saw how this was reflected in the book of Galatians chapter 6. Paul writes to the people to the church at Galatians says brothers and sisters if someone is caught in sin you should live by, uh, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently 
But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, and then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to anyone else. For each one should carry their own load. Be gentle with one another. And when you're caught in sin, the implication is that you're going to be sharing this with other people. That like, look, guys, I messed up. I have been financially irresponsible for the last decade and a half. Someone please help me because I don't know how to do these things on my own, right? And then someone, what we find is when we're vulnerable and open with that, someone with some gentleness comes along beside us and is like, okay, I can help you with that. Do you know how a spreadsheet works? How much do you make, right? I don't know how to, I don't know how to eat anything that doesn't come out of a, of a cereal box. Well, okay, let's go to the grocery store together, right? This is a vegetable. It comes from the ground, right? And we start to get better at those things. But that only happens when we're vulnerable. So we commit to allow other people to speak into our lives, not just in the sense that when, we, when we're obviously caught in something that we allow somebody to speak to us, but we go to them and say, like, look, I am really struggling with my relationship with my brother and my sister. And I don't know how to talk to this person without getting so infuriated that I want to punch them in the, in the face after we're done. And somebody can walk alongside us and say, okay, I, I know what that's like. I know how to walk beside you. I don't know. I can't help you with your financial issues. I don't know how to help you with that. But I can help you figure out how to argue with your spouse in a healthy way, right? That's something that I'm reasonably good at most of the time. Sorry. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm way better at helping you work out your problems with your spouse than sometimes I am at working out my problems with my spouse. Um, but the second, one is, uh, the second one is also important because we're allowing it, we're going to be vulnerable with each other. We're going to admit where we're weak. We're going to admit where we have problems. We're going to admit where we need help. But we also recognize that in a group of people, we're going to have conflict. There's going to be, we're going to fail each other. We're going to sin against each other. We're going to mess this thing up. Not because we're evil, but because every single person in this room is humans, and there's never been a group of humans that have been able to live together with more, for more than 15 minutes without sinning against each other. So we're going to acknowledge that, and we're going to commit to resolve conflict where it arises in a biblical manner. And what's fascinating is what this does is it tells us how we're going to fight. One of the most dangerous things that I've had, and I've done a, a fair amount of, of couples and marriage counseling, one of the most dangerous things that happens for a couple is that they show up and they don't know how to fight, and they've never established any rules for how they're going to fight together, okay? So they get into a position where, so there's two ways that this can go. Either one, they think that good couples don't fight at all, right? So as soon as there's any kind of conflict, they just kind of retreat back over here and they never deal with their conflict because good couples don't fight, right? So that's one very, very dangerous thing to do because that inevitably leads to contempt and then they don't solve anything and things get so irreparably broken that they can't fix it. The other, the, the other pendulum swing of that is actually easier to deal with, and that's couples that fight but have, like, zero rules for it. Like, in a fight, you should have some sort of rules. In boxing, there's rules. Marcus of Queensbury rules. You don't kick. You don't eye gouge. You don't pull each other's hair, right? And, and, and couples, when they fight, should have some sort of rules. But I've dealt with couples that, 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 that had no rules, so they could insult each other's parents. They could, they could, like, insult each other's looks. They could swear. They could scream. They could holler. They could leave. They could do all of these 
these things, and there was no rules for their conflict. And what happened when there's no rules for conflict is that, is that everyone just goes in with their guard up, and nothing ever gets solved, right? The fight never ends because there's no solution. And what we're saying is that when we sin against each other, when I let you down, when you let me down, what we're going to do is we're going to work through this conflict well. And rather than, rather than me sitting on this side of the table and you sitting on that side of the table and us playing a game where somebody is going to win and somebody is going to lose, we're rather going to sit on the same side of the table and say, here's a problem that we have to fix. Because what's most important at the end of this thing isn't that I win or that you win, but that, but that this problem is solved. And that's what we're going to do together. So we're going to revolve it in, solve it in a biblical manner, which is, means we're going to do it with grace, which means that we're going to actually talk to the people that have sinned against us or that we're disappointed with. We're going to say, this is, this is how I feel at this point in time, and it's going to require an openness and a vulnerability. And if that doesn't work, we're going to invite our brothers and sisters into it and say, like, I'm really having a fight with Joe right now, and, I need, and we don't seem to be able to communicate well, so can, can somebody else come in and, and help us with this, right? That's what we're going to do. We're committed to making sure that we work towards forgiveness and reconciliation. That is what's most important. Because in so many conflicts, it, uh, the, the, the fight revolves around who's going to win and who's going to lose. It doesn't matter. We're both going to lose. There's going to be no winner because we're working towards forgiveness and reconciliation. I commit to treat all of God's children with respect and grace, holding to the tenets in essentials unity in non-essentials, liberty, and all things tra- charity. I agree by God's grace to walk in holiness as an act of worship to Jesus Christ who has saved me from my sin, that I can live a new life. I will not have anything in my life that will interfere with my relationship with God and others or that will compromise my integrity. This has to deal with how we relate to people on the outside. And this shouldn't need to be said, but it does need to be said, that we're going to treat people who don't know Jesus yet well. We're going to recognize the image of God in them. We're going to re- treat them with respect and with care. We're going to have humility about what we know, and we're going to treat them well. And it's frustrating that that needs to be said, but it does, because we all know that churches have a well-earned reputation for not treating people who do not believe the same things as us well. We have a well-earned reputation for murdering physically and emotionally and psychologically the people who believe differently than us. And we are not going to do that. Sure, we have things that we believe. And sure, we believe that other people are wrong about things. But that doesn't mean that we're going to say that, this, that, that we're going to ignore the humanity or the image of God that rests in that person. We're going to recognize that even when someone disagrees with us, no matter who they are, no matter how violently they disagree with us, no matter how much their lifestyle diverges from what we believe is healthy and wholesome and good and for the benefit of all humanity, we're going to recognize that God loves that person. In the midst of all of our frustration, in the midst of all of our anger, that God loves that person. And we also ought to love that person because God loves that person. And it's incredibly hard to do. And what happens when, that, when, when we do that is that all of the fear that we have for people who are different than us is driven away by the love that God has for them. It's in 1 John. For perfect love drives out all fear. 
a new command I give you, it says in, 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 in John 13. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. We're not going to live in fear, but rather in love. And we're also not going to live in the dark. One of the most dangerous things that happens in churches is that we live a life here where we all get dressed up into our church clothes, which is, you know, we, 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 but also we put on this whole other way of being. And then we have this, 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 these dark secrets that we keep down here. Either, you know, maybe there are financial problems. Maybe they're the arguments that we can't get over when we're arguing with our spouse. Maybe it's our, maybe it's our, our frustrating relationship with, 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 with media. And, and there's something that's carrying us that we can't put down. And then we, and, but we're so scared of that. We're so scared of letting our brothers and sisters that, see that that we keep it in the dark and we push it down. What we're committing to is that we're not going to let that drag us down. We're not going to have anything that will interfere with my relationship with God or with others or that will compromise my, our integrity. We're going to commit to living in the light. We're going to commit to living a life of justice in the way that we treat other people, in the way that we, in the way that we operate in the world. And when we sin, which we inevitably will, right, when we sin... We confess our sins to our brothers and sisters and seek help from them and from God. We're gonna, and the reason why this is a relation to the world around us is because they need to see us living differently. Just as much as we need to live differently, God is, has placed us here to demonstrate that living differently matters. And we need to do this together. And I'm not... And I want to be so clear. I'm not standing as a person here as a person who lives up to this covenant perfectly yet. But I believe that physical training matters and what is more training in godliness matters. And I'm committing with you guys if we decide to adopt this that we are going to train in godliness. And what I would challenge you guys to do because I'm going to codify this a little bit more. And this is my challenge for us. There's so many, there's so many things, let me put it this way. Let's experiment with this. Try it on for a year. Try on for a year training in godliness in all of these ways and in, 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 in showing up with your brothers and sisters and practicing that vulnerability which can be so uncomfortable in placing God first in our finances, in our, in our, in our sexuality, in our, in our work, in our power lot, in, in the things that we have power over. In, in all of these ways, let's experiment with this and train ourselves in godliness for a year and see what happens. Let's measure the effects because what God has promised us not that it's going to go perfectly, that everything's going to be well, but there is joy in this. And we believe that. So let's try it on for a year. Let's try training ourselves in godliness to be who God has called us to be and see what that looks like, see what that feels like. Because what he's promised us on the other side is that there is joy and that there is peace. And that the, that is the blessing that we can offer the world. And if we find ourselves in that position, what is that going to look like for us and for the world around us? Let's pray. God. We recognize that these commitments are greater than us. But these commitments are not greater than you. And we ask 
that as we make these commitments, that you would help us to be vulnerable with each other, that you would help us to be open with each other, that you would help us to be people who, who are honest with you and honest with ourselves and honest with the world around us, because we believe that that is the most important thing that we can do to train ourselves in godliness to be the people that you have called us to be. Help your love to so fill us that it drives out any bit of fear that we have, fear of our own ego being damaged, fear of our reputation being damaged, fear of, fear of not being accepted by our brothers and sisters, and help us to also have openness for those who are wounded and who are, who are trying to live in the light as well. Help us to be gracious towards each other because we believe that that is what you have called us to. And we also believe that our love and our grace towards each other is going to be the thing that, trans, that, that you use to transform the world. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. As we come to this table, Jesus didn't have to live openly and confessing his sins to his disciples. Jesus lived perfectly. Jesus lived what we were unable to do. But in the midst of that, he recognized who we are, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet confused, Christ died for us. While we were yet vain and proud and seeking money and seeking fame and seeking adulation and all of these other things. In the midst of all of those things, Christ died for us then. And in the midst of all of our confusion and all of our inability to live the lives that God has called us to live, he says to us, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Take the, take and dr This is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for the, for the forgiveness of sins. Drink all of it. That is what we are invited to today, that in the midst of whatever we're in right now, and I don't know where you're at, but in the midst of, of wherever you are right now, you're invited to God's table. This table is open to anyone who is in need of the grace and the peace that comes from Jesus. And in the midst of wherever you're at, be that good, be that bad, be that confused, be that certain, be that, be that in the midst of feeling love or in the midst of feeling unloved, at this table, Jesus is saying to you, take and eat, taste, and see that the Lord is good. We're going to take a moment to remember Christ and what we are, and the and to whose table we are coming. So let's pray together.